Good morning. Uh, welcome to Journey Church. Uh, if you haven't been welcomed already, I want to say glad that you're here. It's also good to see my friend Dan Prout here this morning. Uh, if you know anything about what happened to Dan, yeah. I'm just excited to see Dan back, but I will say, Dan, your team is doing a pretty good job. These guys up here, all the guys back there, they're doing an awesome job. Yeah, give it up to them, too. Everybody's had to step up, and they've done an awesome job uh, doing that. I get the honor and privilege of kind of wrapping up this sermon series this morning titled Making Disciples. And uh, I was recently in Alaska. If you've ever been to Alaska, it's one of those places that you can't really plan for because it's vastly different than anything that you kind of picture or imagine. And that's kind of what I find out. And as I was on this tour bus going through Alaska, this guy was talking to us about how there's people in Alaska that basically live in uh, the middle of nowhere. And they kind of fish, they hunt, they live off the land. They don't pay taxes, which would be nice. Uh, They do other stuff. They don't have a bank account. And he said that you can essentially live in Alaska for several months and not see anybody if you're living like these people do. I thought, man, that'd be pretty cool. And as I was watching these people fish, there's salmon everywhere in Alaska. And we've been talking a little bit the last few weeks about this idea of fishing. As I was sitting here thinking, I think, man, it'd be pretty cool to move to Alaska someday and just like fish and live like that. But there were several problems that kind of came to my mind as I said that. One, uh, I don't know how to fillet a fish. So that's kind of part of the problem. Second problem, I don't know how to cook a fish. All right, I've seen Gordon Ramsay do it on MasterChef, and he makes it much easier than probably what I could do. And lastly, I don't like fish. (laughs) So those are kind of the main three reasons. I can catch a fish, and in Alaska, anybody can catch a fish. I think that's kind of the thing that I was thinking about is a lot of times for us, Many of us, we understand the concept of fishing, fishing for people, as Randy talked about last week. We kind of get that. We understand it. Whether we're doing it or not, that's maybe a different story. But we, we get the thing that we, we're supposed to be fishing. We're supposed to be baptizing people, and that's part of it. That's part of disciple-making, but it's, it's incomplete. Because many of us, we don't know what to do next. For example, some of you, maybe you'll baptize your kid or you'll baptize your friend, and that's great, but then you don't know what to do after that. Now think about a church that I've been to. They baptized 800 people in one day. And it was kind of a miraculous day. It was an Easter Sunday. And I come back the week after Easter, and there's not 800 more people there. In fact, it was the same attendance as several weeks prior. But I've seen the opposite as well. I've seen a church that was so inwardly inwardly focused that they never looked beyond the walls of the church. I've seen people who are in Sunday school classes for 40 or 50 years, and they never transition to teaching a class. I've seen people be mentored their entire lives, but they never transition into being a mentor. I think it's dangerous because it's incomplete. It's incomplete disciple-making. And as I was thinking about the life of Jesus, I oftentimes will ask myself this question. I'll ask our students this question. I'll say, why did Jesus come to earth? Like, what was the purpose of Jesus' ministry? Why did he come? And a lot of people will answer the same way. They'll say, Jesus came to die. Yeah, he came to die, but if that's his sole purpose, why not just kill him as an infant? Why watch him grow up? It's incomplete. Jesus didn't just come to die, he came to live, and I believe that he came to intentionally invest in people so that these people would go and change the world. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. So if you have your Bible, I hope you do. Uh, turn with me to John 15. John chapter 15, a passage you're probably familiar with. Uh, the last few weeks, we've talked about three different invitations from Jesus. The first one is come and see. The second one is follow me. The third one is fish for people. And then this morning, we're going to talk about this 
a command from Jesus to go and bear much fruit. I'm excited about it. John 15, we'll start reading in verses 5 through 8. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory that you go and bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Skip down to verse 15. Jesus is talking to his disciples here. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Jesus uses this kind of symbol of a vine and branches, and essentially what he's saying is, hey, you need to be connected to me. If you want to go and bear fruit, you need to be connected to me. And there's really two different things that I kind of take away from this story as I'm reading it and thinking through it. The first one is this. Jesus' desire for you is that you would go and bear much fruit. That's his desire for your life. This is what it says in verse 8. It says, This is my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. There's two reasons Jesus gives for bearing much fruit and for why he wants you to bear much fruit with your life. The first one is because it brings glory to his Father. If you know anything about the life of Jesus, you know that everything Jesus did was about bringing glory to his Father because the Father was the one that sent him. And so we are called to bear much fruit because when we do that, it brings glory to our Heavenly Father because that's what we were created for. The second thing he gives us is this. He says, if you bear much fruit, it's going to prove to the world that you belong to me. It's going to prove to the world that you are my disciples. And so when we go out and do that, it's going to show, hey, these people belong to Jesus. Now, as we read this text, this sounds pretty good. Like I think, man, if I'm reading this, I want to go make disciples. And everybody in this room would probably say this, I want to make disciples. But there's a couple different things that I think oftentimes will hinder us from truly making disciples and truly bearing much fruit the way that Jesus desires for us. The first one is sin. Sin. Sin is anything that gets in the way of you following Jesus more closely. What it does is it, it kind of blocks our, our picture of Jesus. It covers us up so we focus on other things. We focus on things other than Jesus. And when I say the word sin this morning, you probably have something that has already come to your mind. Whatever that is for you, something that maybe you're dealing with this morning, a sin that you're struggling with, whatever that is, the Holy Spirit has probably prompted you and convicted you this morning of whatever sin you're dealing with. And so maybe for you this morning, that's the takeaway from the sermon is, hey, I need to repent of the sin that I'm struggling with, because if I don't, it's going to hinder me from bearing much fruit. And so sin, it blocks us. Hebrews 12, it says that sin easily entangles us. And I almost picture this idea of easily entangling us, like what the writer of Hebrews says, it's almost like a picture of having handcuffs on. If you have handcuffs on, there's only so much that you can do, and that's kind of the concept of sin, that if we have sin in our lives, it's going to hinder us from making disciples and bearing much fruit, just as Jesus desires for us. The second thing that I believe oftentimes gets in the way of us bearing much fruit is good things. Good things. We oftentimes think sin, well, that's the obvious one, but what about maybe the good things that we have going on in our lives? I think Satan will oftentimes use 
the very good things that we think, man, these are things that I need to be doing. And he will use those things to stop us from bearing much fruit. I think about my own life. Uh, January 2020, right before COVID hit, I was able to go to a conference in Orlando. Uh, I went with a couple different people, and it was a ministry conference. And one of the things that they had us do was they had a bunch of youth pastors in the room, and they kind of said, hey, I want you to write down all the things that you do every single week. So people wrote down different things. I mean, some people wrote down preaching, small groups, uh, going to the schools, whatever it was, people wrote down different things. And then they asked us this question, this is the same question I want to ask you this morning. Are the things that you wrote down on that list, are they helping you make disciples? And as I went through that list, it was kind of a convicting question for me. Because I had this list full of things. If I showed you the list, you'd think, man, those are good things that you're doing. But as I went through the list, I noticed, hey, these things aren't helping me make disciples. It's not that they're bad. It's just they're not helping me make disciples. And so I took this a step further, and I asked some of our students this. I came up with, we came up with a list of several different things that we did as a student ministry, as a church. You know, we had different things on there, like summer camp. Everybody gets excited about summer camp, fall retreat, different trips like Kentucky Kingdom, Kings Island, Top Golf, different things that we've done this summer. And we asked that same question. Is this helping us make disciples? And if not, why isn't it helping us make disciples? We used a method called KISS, K-I-S-S. We didn't teach kids how to kiss, all right? We taught them this method, and it, it means keep it, increase it, start it, or stop it. And so we had to look through every single thing that we were doing as a ministry and saying, hey, is this something that we need to keep? Like, is it really effective? Do we need to increase this? Do we need to do more of this? Do we need to start doing this? We're not doing this currently, or do we need to get rid of this altogether? And I'll be honest with you, it was convicting for me. Because a lot of those things on that list were things that, man, I thought these were a good idea, but the problem was they weren't helping us make disciples. And oftentimes, that's what happens. We place maybe things in our lives that we think, man, this is a good thing, I'm doing this, I'll do this the rest of my life, and it really doesn't help us bear much fruit the way Jesus desires for us. And so I think about the third thing, and it kind of goes along the same lines of reasons or things that get in the way of us making disciples, and I believe it's satisfaction. Satisfaction. Randy talked about the third step in the disciple-making process last week of going and, and fishing, fishing for people, drawing people in. And that's an exciting step. It's an exciting time anytime somebody chooses to give their life to Jesus. We have a baptism today, actually, which is exciting, and I'm pumped about that. Uh, but I think oftentimes what we've done, maybe unintentionally, is we've celebrated baptism as if it's the finish line. Whenever you look at the Bible, and it really points to it being the starting line, that we've celebrated as if, hey, that's the end game. I don't know what it's like to be a parent, but I know a lot of parents, and they always say that they're so excited when their child chooses to get baptized. They say it's the best day of their life, and I, I know that's probably true for you, but man, what if we got as excited about the other things that God was doing as, as we did once people start their journey? And I was thinking about that concept. I was like, man, what are some things that have taken place at Journey Church the last year or so other than people getting baptized? I thought, thought about some few things. I wanted to share these with you. In the last year, I have seen several different students that have chosen to come to church over sports. And if you know anything about sports today, you know it's very consuming. There's a lot of kids that spend every weekend, every single summer at the baseball field, basketball court, whatever. 
I've seen several students that have chosen, hey, I'm not going to be at my sport, I'm not going to be at my practice because I actually have something going on with the church. And I think that's a big deal. I've seen several other things. I've seen several students that have begun to read the Bible on their own for the first time. Sixth, seventh, eighth graders that have started to read the Bible every single day and start to actually journal what they wrote. I've seen 10 students that have committed to a year-long process of being mentored, where at the end of this process, they are going to go and do the same with somebody else that's their age. And I think that's a big deal. Because can you imagine how intimidating that is as a teenager to personally invest in somebody that's one of your peers? But they know at the end of this process, they're going to go and do the same. I've seen students that pray for their lost friends and then follow up that next week by inviting their friend to church and their friend showing up. I think that's a big deal. I've seen students tell their employer that they can't work on Sundays because they go to church on Sundays. I think some adults could learn from that, just to be honest with you. I've seen several different students live out spiritual gifts. We have a student that on Sunday night, we have an invitation and people know, hey, this guy is going to pray for me. He's a senior in high school. He's the, he's the person that people go to for prayer. They don't come to me. They don't come to our adults. They come to him because they know his prayers are powerful and effective. I've seen students step up and lead worship. I've seen students do devotionals at their school, and they openly preach the gospel through ministries like FCA. I've seen students pray with and for their teachers at the middle school and high school. These are things that's a big deal. But there's the last thing that I wanted to share. I have a student, no joke, she has led someone to Christ who has then gone and led someone to Christ. That's the byproduct of disciple-making. It's not me. It's people in our church that are investing in these kids. It's their parents investing in these kids. It's disciple-making. That's what it looks like to bear much fruit. And oftentimes we miss it because we get so satisfied with this. Not that it's not exciting, it is. But there's so much more. See, God wants to bring heaven to earth, but oftentimes we're just waiting to get to heaven. And I think we miss it. And so the last uh, point that I have, the second point that I have, is the way that we bear fruit, because a lot of times we know or we understand, hey, God wants me to bear fruit, but how do I do it? Well, I think we bear fruit through intentional relationships. Intentional relationships. That's what Jesus said in verse 15. He said, I no longer call you servants. Keep in mind, he's talking to his disciples. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. I love what Jesus is saying here because it's this idea that these disciples, they don't serve him, but they're friends with him. They're partners in the ministry. And Jesus began to develop a friendship with these guys. And the Gospels actually point to the fact that Jesus spent around 90% of his time with the same three guys, Peter, James, and John. They're three people that you've probably familiarized yourself with. Now, I can remember growing up and even going into seminary, thinking Jesus spent all of his time like preaching to the masses. He spent all of his time uh, going out and healing people and doing different things like that. And that's part of it. But in seminary, Randy will tell you this, uh, different people will tell you this, Dan will tell you this. They teach you that the most important thing is preaching. They don't teach you how to make disciples, but they do try to teach you how to preach. But the thing about Jesus is he only spent around 10% of his time preaching. Like, why do we spend so much time focusing on something that Jesus didn't even focus on? You think about Jesus' most famous sermon, Matthew chapter 5. It's a whopping 15-minute long sermon that he preached to his disciples. And then like anything Jesus did, he began to draw 
a crowd. And so Jesus invests in these three guys, Peter, James, and John, and it's no accident that when you get to the book of Acts, you see three people that begin to make an immediate impact in the early church, Peter, James, John. It's not an accident. Acts chapter 2, you see Peter preach the gospel. 3,000 people get saved. How does Peter know how to preach the gospel? He's a fisherman. He spent time traveling with Jesus. Jesus discipled him. Acts chapter 3, you, he, you see Peter heal a lame beggar. How does Peter know how to heal people? He saw Jesus do it. Jesus discipled him. Acts chapter 4, I think you're getting the point, but Acts chapter 4, Peter and John stand before the Sanhedrin. This is awesome. Acts chapter 4, 20, he says, I can't help but speak about the things I've seen and the things that I've heard. How does he know how to be so bold in front of people that want to kill him? Because he's seen his, his Jesus go to the cross. It's not a coincidence. It's strategic. Jesus gave us a strategy for how to do ministry. And when I discovered this, it changed everything for me. It changed everything. About a year ago, I've been learning a lot about, three years ago, I listened to this podcast. It was called Disciple Making. Pretty simple. And I listened to this guy talk over and over about how to make disciples and why we should make disciples. A couple years passed, and I, I meet somebody like Tony, who is just somebody that's encouraging me to make disciples. And it's about two years since I started listening to this podcast. And I thought, you know what? I'm tired about listening to stuff about making disciples. I'm ready to just go and make disciples. And so I invited several different guys, probably uh, 10 or 15 guys. I said, hey, would you want to meet on a weekly basis for the purpose of accountability and multiplication? I didn't have all 15 guys say yes, but I did have about five guys say yes. And so what I did was I went out, I bought them a Bible, and I bought them a journal, dollar, dollar tree, all right? I bought them a Bible and I bought them a journal. I said, hey, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a plan to read the New Testament. What we're going to do is we're going to meet every single week. We're going to talk about the things that you read. We're going to use a method called here, highlight, explain, apply, and respond, so that we aren't just reading the Bible, but that we're actually engaging the Bible. Then what we're going to do is we're going to memorize Scripture each week for the sole purpose of sharing the gospel, because when you go share the gospel with people, I want them to take you seriously, like, hey, the Bible that you claim to love, you actually know it. We also have accountability. The things that they're struggling with, the things that they're dealing with, it's an inner circle. It doesn't go outside the circle. And finally, we pray for people. We pray for people because these guys are going to go and do the same. It's a year-long process. This isn't a small group that's going to meet for the next 40 years. This is a group that's going to meet for one year. And at the end of this process, you know what they're going to do? They're going to get a Bible. They're going to get a journal. They're going to go to somebody else, and they're going to do the exact same thing. And I say this with humility. I have no clue what I'm doing. Like, that sounds pretty smooth, but it's, it's not. Like, I don't really know what I'm doing. Anybody can do this. Anybody can buy a journal. Anybody can spend some time reading. Anybody can take the time and intentionally invest in a few. But there's two main things I've learned from doing this. The first one is this. Bearing much fruit takes time. It takes time. It's a crockpot recipe. It doesn't take place overnight. A lot of times we want to see instant satisfaction, whether, whatever it is in your life. You want to see instant satisfaction. You want to see instant results, but it takes time. I've been fortunate enough to see incredible things happen, but it wasn't overnight. It took years. Now think about Galatians chapter 6, and Paul uses this phrase. He says, uh, 
basically that you shouldn't give up because at the right time you're going to reap a harvest. I'm afraid some of us in this room, we give up too early when God wants to bring the harvest. He wants to prepare the harvest, but what we do is oftentimes we give up too early. Maybe that's with your kids, maybe that's with a coworker, whatever it is. Don't give up. Don't give up. The second thing I've learned is this. Bearing much fruit takes intentionality. It takes intentionality. I'm not that old. I'm 24 years old, but for about 23 years of my life, I wanted to make disciples and bear much fruit, but I did the same thing over and over. It's that definition of insanity that you've probably heard. You do the same thing over and over, and you expect different results. I'm afraid that's what a lot of us have done, maybe intentionally, unintentionally with our lives. We've done the same thing over and over and over, but we haven't made any changes. We haven't tweaked anything or whatever. And I think about a lot of times we get this phrase, make disciples, this sermon series. We get it from Matthew 28. Matthew 28 says, go and make disciples of all nations. And I think we understand that. But if you look at the original text of Matthew 28, it says, as you go, as you go, make disciples. Here's what it tells me. A lot of times we'll try to do stuff outside of the things that we're already doing. But what God wants us to do is he wants us to be intentional with the things that we're already doing. If you're going to the gym, what would it look like if you became intentional about going to the gym and making disciples? If you go to work every day, what would it look like if you became intentional about going to work every day and making disciples? I've seen people, they use their time in their car. Parents. I don't know, again, I don't know what it's like to be a parent, but there's several people I know that they say, hey, I'm going to use the time in the car in the morning where I have 10 minutes with my, t- with my student, with my child, and I'm going to use that to make disciples. Whatever it is, what would it look like if we became more intentional with our time? Because I think for all of us this morning, God's plan and God's desire for you is that you would make disciples, that you would intentionally invest in somebody for the purpose of multiplication. It's not just me. It's not just the pastors. It's not just the leaders. It's all of us. Can you imagine what Journey Church would do if we all were intentional about making disciples, about multiplication, about investing in a few There's no telling what God would do in Woodford County, but it wouldn't stop there. It would go around the world. It would go around the world. And I think about one person in particular. There was a guy this week, he passed away. His name was Tim Parsons. He was in the hospital for two weeks with COVID, and he passed away. And I knew Tim somewhat because he was a pastor in Lexington at Centerpoint Church. And the reason I knew Tim was because my buddy Bryce was a youth minister, my best friend growing up, still best friends to this day. He's a youth minister at Tim's church in Lexington. And so I met Tim several different times, but I can remember meeting with my friend Bryce about a year ago. And Bryce began to talk to me about the things that he was doing at his church, the things that Tim had been teaching him about disciple making. He told me, hey, I meet with uh, several different students each week. And I meet with these students and I teach them, hey, like you can read the Bible. Here's how you read the Bible. You can repent of sin. Here's how you repent of sin. Here's how you pray. Here's how you do these things that God has called you to do. It's disciple making. And you know what that did? It spurred me to do the same. The thing about Tim Parsons, I didn't really know Tim Parsons, but I know someone that was influenced by Tim Parsons. And I guess the question that I want to leave you with this morning is what if the greatest impact that your life has is on somebody that you never even meet? What if the greatest influence that you have is on your kids who then go to somebody else at their school and make disciples? What if the greatest impact that you have is on somebody at your work who then goes on to make disciples? 
Because I think that's what the life of Jesus is all about, that, hey, he knows one day he's going to go to the cross, and sure enough, he's going to have to leave three guys behind who are going to change the world. And I think God wants to, uh, wants to use us to do that very same thing. And when it comes to disciple-making, here's kind of the, the finish. Many of us, we want to make disciples, but before you begin to make disciples, you have to become a disciple. You have to become a disciple. And the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. And we're going to have an invitation this morning, a time to respond. And maybe for you, you need to give your life to Jesus. The Bible points to three things, repent, trust Christ, and be baptized. And maybe you haven't done those things this morning, and today's the day. If you think, man, I wonder if that's me telling myself. No, that's the Holy Spirit telling you, hey, it's, it's today. Today's the day. Some of you, you know, hey, the Holy Spirit's convicting you that you need to be more intentional about disciple making. Maybe you come forward and we pray for you. Whatever it is, we want to pray for you. Randy will be down here, and we'd love to just pray with you, chat with you, whatever it is. Uh, but I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll sing another song. God, forgive us for the times where we failed to make disciples. God, forgive us for the times where we've looked at different methods and different ways of doing ministry other than the method that is clearly laid out for us in the life of Jesus. God, I want to be intentional with my life, and I want those around me to be intentional with their lives, God. And so help us to do that this morning, Lord. I pray if there's someone in here that's just struggling with something, that they're dealing with something, God, I pray that they would be willing to come this morning, God, and just to get that off their chest, whatever it is. God, we lift you up this morning. It's not about us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.